Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Politics without the soap opera. With unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight for what actually matters to guide ourselves to a destiny of a better America than what we live in now, this hellhole. Or we could just focus on soap operas. If you like that, this is not the place for you. But if you are actually focused on substance, well, I don't think you're going to get this much else elsewhere. Daniel Horowitz back here today for Wednesday, March 22nd. And, you know, while we have this soap opera that we're going to be consumed with for the next year and a half, all Trump all the time, all, you know, gutter sniping and this and that, and this guy's going to be present, that guy's going to be present, everyone misses the point. There's another vote. It's not president, governor, um, Congress, even the judiciary. You see, the system that the bad guys already created, they have a system in place to upend the world. You know, like, everything that you could have planned for Trump's presidency, let's say he was amazing and appointed great people even before COVID, which, of course, is not the case, but let's say it was. Well, the left had COVID planned, and that nullified every social, fiscal, life, liberty, property, everything, everything we're paying for to this day. How do we prevent this from happening again? So we're going to touch on this later today. What are the things that should be done at a federal level? What are these authorities that are undergirding the Joseph Mengele experimentation state, the biomedical surveillance tyranny, and dare I say, biomedical terrorism state that's still going on? Because let me tell you, it is still going on. You know, while we sit and have these political soap opera fights, they ain't stopping. And that's that's the beauty of the left. You know, we could dance in the end zone. Oh, I got my guy. I got my guy. You know what? At a minimum, from now until January 2025, and really afterwards too, because it doesn't matter who's present, but we could all agree until then, they're going to keep putting points on the board. What are we going to do about it? So we'll talk about that later today. Um, first, as I give you a 2020 vision on politics, not this myopic view of what... What about people that actually do have nearsightedness, farsightedness? I'm severely nearsighted. Everyone in my family is. And I rely on America's only conservative eyewear company, Better Spectacles. They import authentic Rodenstock eyewear. It's the gold standard in the industry. They have what's called biometric intelligence glasses or big. They give you a seamlessly natural experience that works perfectly with your brain, gives you the sharpest vision. Heck, you know, maybe maybe we can give some of these uh, GOP thumbsuckers uh, some big glasses from Better Spectacles, and maybe it will make their brain work better. But for those of you who are looking to have what I have, go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment. And I, I was skeptical that you could do the measuring and eye movements, but 
you know, it fit perfectly when they sent it. So it worked for me. Don't settle with your eyesight. Go big with biometrical Intel glasses from Better Spectacles. Get 61% off progressive eyewear plus free handcrafted Ronin stock frames at betterspectacles.com slash conservative. Get the progressive eyewear from the only conservative company. Again, betterspectacles.com slash conservative. So these guys mean business. You have Bill Gates. He wrote an op-ed in the New York Times calling for a global health emergency core. Now, if you haven't noticed by now, you should. When Bill Gates calls for something, he's already doing it. Uh, and, you know, just like he says, oh, you know, you wouldn't want another pandemic. And, well, he's obviously in the process of making one. The Global Health Emergency Corps, this kind of global uh, biomedical bio, uh, Nazi um, brown shirts, that is part and parcel of this international health regulations that they're going to do. And, again, it's shocking how the House hasn't voted on this. Frankly, the House has voted on nothing. I, I was just at a conservative meeting and I um, kind of a group of conservative leaders and I was just taking off all of the federal action items that need to be done. And it's shocking. Um, they've been out. Maybe they get back from their little retreat. They had, they were out for another week and a half. I don't even get it. You know, we were told oh, they're going to do so such amazing things. I, I'm not seeing anything amazing from them, but it's shocking how they can't even go after this. I IHR business. You have this guy quoted in the UK Express, Dr. Tom Merritt. Um, he was part of Oxford University's team who developed the AstraZeneca vaccine. He admits that the jabs were, quote, collateral damage to the bigger scheme. Some tragically died. A number had their lives changed forever. They believed in vaccines. Now they don't. In other words, his point was, all right, so the people who got hit don't believe in it. And basically what they're wagering is saying, look, Let's say 7 8% got injured and I'm, you know, 1% died. All right, but the overwhelming majority didn't. So that's an that's that's a toll that's larger than the Holocaust if you give it to the whole world multiple doses which they did. But to them it's like, all right, well, so they they'll be against it now. But so what? We'll keep continuing. They they say it openly. There is nothing stopping them. There is no deterrent from anything we lived through, from them actually implementing this again. Nothing. And you have here this article, I want to pull this out, from the UK Daily Mail. Major vaccine companies are preparing for avian flu vaccines if the H5N1 virus has, that has killed millions of animals mutates to infect humans. GSK, Moderna, and CSL Sequiris have begun developing new human shots to target the rapidly spreading strain of the virus. Others, such as Sanofi, have vaccines for H5N1 virus in stock that could serve as a base for producing shots. They say the risk to humans is low, but the specter of another pandemic upending hundreds of millions of lives worldwide has kicked off scientific investigation into high gear. High gear. It's very interesting how they always seem to have a vaccine prepared always for a virus that suddenly not just germinates, but then shows evidence out of nowhere. You know, isn't it interesting that we lived all these thousands of years and suddenly all these zoonotic viruses are at risk of jumping? Obviously, an 11-year-old Cambodian girl made headlines recently when she became the first human to die of bird flu this year. 
Um, and uh, yeah, they're they're all ready. They're developing, working on test sample human vaccines that better match the circulating subtype. And we now know that from our government to media to medical system to your family doctor, there will be no circumspection about the pathophysiology of the virus, where it comes from, how this thing acts against it, what it does to your body, nothing. It's all good. Just say the word vaccine, and it is all good. Moderna is working on pandemic flu vaccines tailored to the avian flu using the same technology, meaning mRNA. Um, While vaccines would typically take years, even a, a decade to develop, the COVID pandemic turbocharged the process, producing two highly effective mRNA vaccines in less than 12 months. How about it? So now they're working on that. They're working on an mRNA avian flu shot. What are we going to do? And then, meanwhile, we have this from Bloomberg News. Deadly Marburg um, virus spreads to Tanzania for first time. Five people have died, 161 contacts being monitored. They've been warning about Marburgs forever. And now Marburgs appears. It was in Guinea. It was in a couple of places. And now there's an outbreak of hemorrhagic fever. It's basically a cousin to Ebola. So it's funny how everything they seem to obsess about and warn about, it seems to happen. And then they seem to have a vaccine developed. Now, I missed this throughout my lifetime, but now retrospectively that we're studying this, it sure seems that almost every virus that has emerged post-World War II, the most likely evidence of its emergence is from the actual firefighters themselves being the arsonist. From RSV to various new strains of polio to HIV, what the heck? I mean, this is the sort of thing I just wanted to give over to you before you know we have on our guest that animates me, that motivates me why I do what I do. You know, we lose sight. We're going to get to this tit for tat for an entire year with a presidential primary. But we all lose sight of why did we get into this business? Well, I guess they're not losing sight because they got into it to grift for fame, for money. But to me, you know, we were worried about what? Life, liberty, property, human prosperity, values. And you look at this, that we lived through something that killed millions upon millions of people and left so many people between COVID and the COVID shots with lifelong, long-term illness and, and, and disabilities. And it's like, there's no desire. I mean, I'm not even trying to use today's show to even talk about how Trump owned all this, his policies, personnel, did this, yada, yada. Take Trump out of the picture. I'm not even, it's not even the point. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing new. Obamacare was the issue in 2012, and we nominated the grandfather of it, Mitt Romney, to be our guy. So here we not, you know, you know, biomedical tyranny is the is the issue, and we uh, 
nominate the the granddaddy who was there at the scene of the crime for I get that, but it's not even that. This thing has been going on so much longer than we ever thought. It's been going on for decades. What is the plan? What is the plan? And that's what I want to talk about uh, today. What are the biggest landmines that are that are in our, you know, legal code that the agencies are doing? And what are these action items? But first, you know, we try to keep everything real here. We try to keep everything real, practical. What is it? What is the action item we should do? So it's a similar thing in our own lives. We're all like, I'm pro Second Amendment in the abstract. Well, that's great. But do you know how to use a gun? Are you trained? Well, Patriot Academy has the perfect course for you. If you want to meet me along with Rick Green of Patriot Academy, America's Constitutional Defense Course Coach, April 23rd, uh, it's a Sunday through Thursday, Patriot Academy is going to have their inaugural five-day defensive handgun course at their new campus at in Fredericksburg, Texas. Those of you who are in Texas, no excuse for not coming. It is amazing, especially those of you who are retired, don't have to take off of work. Five days of meeting the best godly patriots. We'll be able to talk together, strategize together. If you ever wanted to meet me, now's the, now's the time. But more importantly, you'll learn how to improve your marksmanship, your draw from the holster, safety awareness, um, grip, proper sight alignment, picture alignment, and clearing malfunctions. Again, a $2,000 course for $500 subsidized by their donors. $500 the whole course. You do have to make your own arrangements. So go to patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. Spots are limited. And again, you know this is the one I'm going to, but if it doesn't work for you, they have a litany of courses throughout the spring. I would advise you go earlier the better before it gets very hot and you're out at the range all day. But if you have any questions, email defense at patriotacademy.com. One of Rick's sons will take care of you. Again, patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. Hope to see you there. So, folks, one of the problems that I think we've all realized is that a lot of us have been asleep at the wheel. And, and I'll be the first to admit I've been a zealous convert to the medical freedom movement because – in part, I feel guilty that over the years, you know, I was busy with other policy issues. I didn't see this coming. I didn't know we had all these statutes on the books that authorized a biomedical security state, an emergency power state, a human experimentation state, um, and dare I say a bioterrorism state, which is really what they're doing. Again, knowing that things are dangerous, are lethal, Hey, we're going to approve it anyway. We're going to mandate it on you. And it turns out this cancer is much, much deeper than just kind of what we saw facially the last few years. And it's true. It's true at a federal level. It's true at a state level, all these emergency powers. And it's really shocking how three years into this, when broadly everyone on our side and even, even the Democrats admit that at least parts of the lockdown were wrong, but there is no effort to update the policies and the laws to comport with the reality that if we didn't see it before, we should all see it now. And one of the real experts on this understanding where the biomedical security state comes from, what part of government is it most potent, what are the major authorities that Congress needs to go after, the few willing to do it, is Catherine Watt. Um, she's a Pennsylvania paralegal uh, law researcher 
and she's used her, her skills um, on legal research to go through a lot of the legal history of you know how March 16th, 2020 happened and everything thereafter. Um, this is a must, must read Substack, Bail Wick News, B-A-I-L-W-I-C-K news dot Substack. Um, just Google it. And you you literally do not know what's going on with this if you don't read her Substack. Very, very important there. Catherine, it's great to welcome you here to see our podcast for the first time. Thanks so much for your work. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I'll tell you, a lot of people are like, Daniel, you're a fraud if you don't have Catherine on. I can't tell you. You have a big fan base. Like, you're not real until we see you have her on. Well, here you are. Um, Very open-ended. I know it's going to take a little while. Take as much time as you need. How long has the biomedical security state been built for? Um... About a hundred years. Oh boy! I think um, it really the firmest footing that they put in place was the 1944 Public Health Service Act, right in the middle of World War II. Um, but they had some of the pieces in place before that, and they've added many, many, many more since then. So you know, born out of World War II Public Service Health Act. Um, obviously, they wanted central authority. Um, but when it comes to what went down with with COVID, obviously, it was built on a couple of statutes that are relatively more recent. It seems like 9-11 turbocharged a lot of it. Let's start with the PREP Act. Talk about the background, the rationale, who pushed it, and, and what it does. Um. I'm not the best person to talk to about specific, like the prep act and who pushed it. Cause I haven't done the like legislative sure, but, but the tracking of sponsors and things like that. Um, but the prep act was part of this overall militarization of the public health system that, like I said, got started in 1944. Um, it ramped up in the fifties and sixties and got more connected to the world health organization and certain laws were passed here to make our Surgeon General and then our HHS Secretary be like the point person to implement World Health Organization programs. And that was a kind of um, covert shifting of sovereignty um, to say that once a public health situation emerges, the country is under the control of the HHS Secretary on behalf of the World Health Organization, not under the control of the President or the Congress or the courts. Um, and so as we've seen in lots and lots of people have seen this pattern of they, they orchestrate a crisis of some sort for which they have already written the laws they want to get in. The crisis happens. It terrifies Congress. It terrifies the courts and whatever the legislation is that they had already written gets shoved through. So the, the main example most people now would probably be familiar with is the Patriot Act, um, which was a huge, huge overhaul of national security laws that was entirely ready to go so that when the orchestrated 9-11 events happened and the anthrax attacks on Congress and on media organizations happened in late 2001, they had it all lined up to put in the Patriot Act and then also to put in the Homeland Security Act 
and this entire other set of things that eventually included things like the 2005 PREP Act, the 2004, I believe, Project BioShield Act. Um, there's dozens of them. Um, and so piece by piece, they use the anthrax thing to say, oh, everybody should be scared because this disease can be sent through the mail is white powder. And if we don't have this biodefense homeland security apparatus and have it fully funded all the time and have the factories ready to produce all of these countermeasures, as we now know they're called, then we're going to be vulnerable. And so Congress went ahead and, and passed all these things. Um, I don't know if that's your question. And, but. and that basically absolves anything, any countermeasure taken right for the public health emergency from all liability. Yes. My own view is that there's, I don't think, to go back to what you said in your intro, I don't think it's useful for people to feel bad about having not seen this coming mm-hmm. because the the stuff, the material was hidden on purpose. I think, and I argue, it was hidden on purpose because it's not a public health program at all. It's a military program and its intent is not to produce safe and effective drugs or treatments. It's it, intent is to get people to take weapons that will injure and kill them without fighting back because they don't know that what they're being given is a lethal injection or an injection that will kill them eventually slowly um, by making them sick or by destroying their own immune system. So it's not, I don't put the burden on, on us for not seeing it because they wrote it in such a way that you can't tell until you've seen it in action and you've seen that even though it's completely unsafe and not effective for the purpose that they told you it was useful for, it's killing people, but they keep it going, that it's a military program. It's not a public health program at all. They so keep all of it these going. Things- they keep, I, I want to pick up on that point because what you're describing is exactly the way I feel about the emergency use authorization statute. I read this statute and like, I don't know if I were in Congress at the time, it doesn't sound bad. It's clear you can't mandate it. It has certain conditions. They're like, yeah, you want emergency use in case you need something? Okay, here, go produce it. But then here we are, two years after we know a thousand times over that this thing is negative effective against COVID and has, you know, damages every organ system. And they're able to still, even after Biden and everyone, I mean, we're living normally, everyone admits it's over with. This is not, you know, 2021. They're approving fourth boosters on babies utilizing the EUA. How does that happen? Because there's like a layer of which they talk about things. And then there's an underneath layer, which is what they're actually doing. And those are not the same thing at all. For them, the emergency has not stopped at all. It, it is extended because they have all the emergency powers that they want and because they want to keep forcing people or confusing people to take these shots without fighting back and without understanding that what they're doing is participating in homicide and participating in suicide. Um, so is there a way and that's to repeat? What, if you go oh, yeah. back through all of the language, that's why it, it took me many, many, many months of looking at the guidance documents and looking at the regulations and looking at the statutes and cross-referencing things and looking at amendments that they put in gradually over time to just make it more and more amorphous, basically, and harder to see that what it is in the military campaign, not a public health campaign. And 
the emergency use authorization is just it's just language that obscures what they're doing. It's not language that tells you what they're doing. So Unless I wanted you do to all of this use that to segue into um, so the other transactions authority. We've we've talked a lot on this program about EUA, about the Prep Act, and things like that. People understand the liability shield. But what's understood less is this other transactions authority. You've been instrumental in really breaking this down. I mean, I've had Brooke Jackson on the show last week and a couple other times um, that it came to life in her lawsuit that really this was primarily a DOD contract with Pfizer um, more so than HHS. And they utilized this other transactions authority to essentially tell Pfizer, look, it's all good. Whatever you want to produce you know, clinical trials don't matter. The protocols don't matter. The safety doesn't matter. You know, you could do the equivalent in clinical trials of doing heart surgery from the back rather than forward. It's all good. Here it is. Where is that? Explain this authority, this other transactions authority, and why it's so damaging. Well, first I would say the contracts are not written to tell Pfizer that it's all good. The contracts are written to tell Pfizer, here's what you must do. Here's what we're ordering from you. And I think... Sasha is Sasha Lachipova is sure. absolutely correct when she says we delivered the fraud that the government ordered. The contracts <laughs> are written, like I said, on this double layer. One layer is intended for public consumption. It's intended to make people think that it's a medical product. It's intended to make people think that it's being operated through, for public health purposes, that it has clinical trial obligations, that it has safety and efficacy endpoints. And none of those things are true. Those things are put into the contracts only for public consumption and only to perpetrate the fraud. The real contract and the real elements of the contract, even though some of them have this language, the real part is we're ordering a weapon from you and you better deliver it or we will like end the contract and stop your company from existing because this is the only game in town and we'll find other subcontractors to do it. So Pfizer is, as Sasha says, and Brooke says, and I say, Pfizer is absolutely complicit in this massive, massive global crime. They are not the only ones complicit. The DOD is the controlling element of the contract. And the DOD is where the buck stops and whoever's controlling the DOD. So I don't, that doesn't, that was a sort of tangent on your thing, but the other transaction authority is just a contracting provision that Congress gave to several different federal agencies that allows them to sidestep all of the otherwise applicable bookkeeping and financial reporting and um, contract oversight provisions that would apply normally. Um, The acronym FAR, I don't remember what that stands for, but that's the standard um, contracting one that does have bookkeeping requirements and does have reporting to Congress requirements and all these other oversight features, other transaction authority does not. And that's why Congress also could be cut out of this. I am certain there are people in Congress who know exactly what's going on, and there are a lot of people in Congress who do not. Um, But the point is, the contractors themselves, the DOD and Pfizer and all of the other subcontractors, get out of any obligation to keep good records of the financial transactions and of the technological transactions and things like that and provide those to Congress to face oversight. 
So this allows them to basically order bioweapons under the guise of, um, you know, typical, D- like the way DOD would contract with other things they do and avoid the scrutiny you would typically have, what, through the FDA? Uh, it, avoid, it helps them avoid the FDA regulations, but it also helps them avoid, like, um, budget budget type oversight, mm. like um, accounting oversight. And some members of Congress knew that, right? Like, in 2003, there was a hearing that Henry Waxman um, ran on the Project BioShield Act, and... He said in some of his introductory comments, I'm kind of nervous about the fact that we're saying in these emergency situations, this wasn't specific to OTA, but they were they were tied together um, because they were passing all of these things sort of across multiple statutory provisions. Um, and he said, I don't I don't really like this part where it says they don't have to, like, open their books to congressional investigations or oversight. They don't have to report to us on this and then went ahead and they passed it anyway. So they knew and could articulate in these hearings, we're basically cutting Congress out of oversight of this. I guess we have to do that because emergency, which was a lie. And it, again, it's a lie that some of the people in Congress knew was a lie and others did not. No, indeed. Indeed. I, and I think a lot of them never heard of this, especially the ones currently there. But we need to do something about it. Um, this is for, for what you're saying is why we began our book, Rise of the Fourth Reich, with the military. And, you know, there's just a interview last week on One America's News Network with Major General Julian Alford. He was the former uh, commanding general of the Marine Corps Training Command, and he was ordered by the commandant of the Marine Corps to keep his mouth shut over his personal vaccine injury. So we saw the, the censorship was particularly swift and vicious in the military, because like you're saying, this is a military campaign more than even public health. But the question I have for you is why? What what are they doing? What What is this all about? You know, when you see Politico had a story recently, that chemical and biologics program, they're working on developing the, the catch-all antibodies that's going to get the super soldier that's protected from everything. And of course, we know that it would destroy someone's immune system. Why? Well... I can answer that and address it in a couple ways. One is that I think World War III actually started at the close of World War II. And I think World War III has been and is still mostly this biochemical covert um, and electromagnetic radiation and all of these different um, ways of damaging and shortening people's lifespans. What you said about the biodefense stuff is another piece of it, because I think part of what the biodefense industry that Robert Malone talks about and supports um, and the whole idea that there are these constant threats from nature and from bad actors designing things is intended as a substitute for the Cold War arms manufacturing industry that kept so many companies afloat and destroyed so much wealth that could have gone into other things like education and, um, you know, regular human needs. Between the 1950s and the 1980s, that whole thing between the United States and Russia was a really good way for the powers that be that, like, are interested in maintaining their own power and they need to 
suppress um, wealth creation for everybody else to do that. And they need to keep populations under control and also limited to keep their own power. They could use the Cold War and the big bad Russia enemy to keep those arms manufacturing and design programs going. And then the Berlin Wall fell at the end of the 80s and the Soviet Union collapsed. And I think they saw that coming and prepared, in part, they prepared the biodefense industry and the sort of false threat of these communicable diseases to substitute for that. So they could continue funneling massive amounts of wealth out of the regular economy and into these companies that basically just burn it up by doing expensive things that have no actual utility. Um, The reason overarching all of that, I think, gets into uh, the basic good versus evil fight and that the Bank for International Settlements is where I sort of trace it back to, but you can many people describe it in many different ways. Um, it, they just want control. They just want control of all the people in the world and they just want to kill the ones who will not cooperate. And they just want to enslave the ones who survive and they just want all the stuff. They don't want anyone else to have any stuff or to have any lives. Um, that's, that's the basic simple way to put it. Sure. And it sounds completely insane, but it's, and I would have said you're insane. It's demonstrably what they're doing. Three years, so, three, four yeah. years ago, I would have said that. But right. I mean, we've lived through this. And again, it's not just, you know, biomedical tyranny in a vacuum. You look at the food and the fuel and all of this. Right, right, you know, right. It, right. Does, it just doesn't make, it all seems to lead to the same thing. And the, with the, you know, the central bank digital currency, why? Why does it yes. always have the same outcome? And, and, and what really, you know, I, people know that I went through a transformation throughout this. You know, when it started, I just thought it was a, I didn't realize where it was coming from. And I thought it was just kind of like everything that comes up, never let a crisis go to waste to control people. But it was mm-hmm. when they actively, viciously, and I've never seen anything like this, blocked treatment for COVID. Then I was like, yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> you know, that makes no sense because if COVID's such a big deal, you'd want to treat it, get out ahead of it. Why wouldn't, why would you, you know, you say you want to, alleviate the burden on the hospitals, but then you make it that you basically have an, an embargo on outpatient treatment. And that's really where it, it kind of all clicked in me. Um, if I put you in, I don't know, the House Judiciary Committee staff, House Oversight Committee, what are some of the most important action items? We're coming decades late into this battle. What are some of the most important action items you think they could take to take uh, a meat cleaver to this biomedical state? I think the first thing they need to do is repeal the Federal Reserve Act, which I know also sounds crazy, mm. but because of the way, and I know Ron Paul has talked about this for decades, but mostly as far as I know, he's talked about it in terms of the Federal Reserve and Central Bank is an economic destructive force for people's property and um, on the economic side. I don't think it was possible it was, it was very difficult to see that the Federal Reserve and central banks are also part of this biomedical death machine until COVID happened. And through that and through a lot of the work that yep. Catherine Austin Fitz has done going back to the 80s and 90s, it's now possible to see that 
the Federal Reserve as this unelected, unaccountable, non-transparent, privately owned bank controlling the money supply also controls Congress and also controls the Treasury Department and also controls the president. And through that controls all of the states, all of the counties, all of the towns, all the schools, all the hospitals. And so in some of my presentations, I have talked about this as like a a tiered, T-I-E-R-E-D, tiered coercion cascade through which the Bank for International Settlements controls all of the federal central banks. Those central banks control the governments in their countries. And then it just goes down from there. And that's how they got the compliance. If it hadn't been for the control of the money supply, and again, Yes, that's the the theft that they've been doing for four point eight trillion, four point eight trillion right. balance sheet that they grew, not including right. Congress's fiscal so-called stimulus that, as you well noted, they induced that as well. They work together. And I think people see it openly yes. now with, you know, yelling at Treasury, who was herself at Federal Reserve before. And then Jerome Pallet at Treasury and all the European central banks, what they're doing now, it's all tied in. And by the way, folks, just so you know, I did not coordinate with this with Catherine. So Catherine, it's funny. This was literally yesterday's show. Um, and this is the oh. point I said, the single most important thing, because, you know, otherwise, if there's if the money ain't there, they can't do lockdowns. They can't do this. They can't do anything. They would have to massively, massively raise taxes and people would be forced to feel the pain to vote for their stupidity. They're able to do this on the cheap. And 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 it, it's amazing. So I don't think you're crazy when I ask you a public health question. And the first thing is Federal Reserve Act. I believe, you know, agree with that 100 percent. What else directly kind of targeting these emergency statutes, public health, do you think we need to target? Um, I think the Public Service Health or Public Health Service Act also has to be completely dismantled. That's the, the 1944 one. And if that one, if they repeal the entire Public Health Service Act, um, then it gets rid of all of the emergency programs and all the emergency powers not all of them. I'm sorry. I should not say that. They have a lot of redundancy built into the system. So they have the public health emergency powers, but they also have like disaster relief powers and national emergency powers. Mm. So I've I've got lists at my website of what all of these things and how they connect to each other. And they all need to be repealed. But the public health specific one was passed in 1983 as an amendment to that 1944 law. And if the 1944 law in its entirety and all of its amendments that have happened since then gets repealed, then that specific, the part where the Health and Human Services Secretary gets these emergency powers and then can hold on to them as long as he or she wants to because there is no congressional oversight and because there is no court review, that piece goes away. So I think that's an important one. And the other one specific to the emergency use authorization bioweapons is to repeal the entire Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act, which was passed in 1938 and has had hundreds and hundreds of um, amendments since then. And so, and, and the piece about, like, yes, I say, and apparently you also say, um, the Federal Reserve Act needs to be repealed. We need to not have a central bank. That means we need to build a different currency system. We need to build a different money supply. And at the same time, if we get rid of these, the Public Health Service Act and the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act, we need different private um, means of providing health care yes. to people. Because sick people 
will always be with us. They have always been with us. The hospitals, as a the concept of a hospital goes back centuries. It, it long predates the Public Health Service Act. So it's not impossible for us to figure out ways to provide health care and drugs, drug manufacturing and um, whatever else and currencies, whatever else people need to have lives and to transact business with each other and to take care of each other. But it needs to not be run through the federal government, because once the federal government is the sort of allocator of all of these things, they have a vested interest in having there be fewer patients, which means killing us off. They have a vested interest in having us. We've all seen that. This is the death panel. We were all we were always. That's what very prideful that, that oh, Europe, you know like that was a european thing we don't have that here in america but that's what covid taught us is that that system they built you know with medicare medicaid this whole private mm-hmm. insurance racket which is not private through the you know tax exclusion right. um which is worth hundreds of billions of dollars that you know tethered health care to health insurance and then you know, may create a monopoly of health insurance that you don't have, you know, you have third party and then, you know, government or someone else pays for the third party and boom, 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 on and down there. And then culminating with Obamacare, mergers, acquisitions, private doctors out of the business. And we saw it, you know, that's how they were able to consolidate policies, get every doctor to support nonsense and insanity. Um, you know, this is where it is. It's all centralized government. We need decentralization. I'm totally, totally with you. Um, right. And could, so the yeah. third one, the third major one, oh, the, yeah. the Public Health Service Act, well, Federal Reserve Act, Public Health Service Act, FDCA, Food, Drug and Cosmetics Act, and then the Social Security Act, which is what you were just talking about. And that's the, the sort of link between your economic life and your biological life through Medicare and for and Medicaid. And that's why another thing I, I just posted yesterday about, like, I know that talking about abolishing Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid sounds ridiculous to people politically. However, once you see through the COVID lens that those are the mechanisms through which the money is incentivizing people to kill people and incentivizing people to take products that are actually bioweapons and threatening people with loss of your job if you don't comply with this, then you start to see that Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security are not benevolent at all. They're enslavement mechanisms, um, which some people, many people could see that even back when they passed them. But it was not possible, I don't think, to see it as clearly as we can now see it because of COVID. No, that that's that's the thing. It, 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 you know, they always talked about you have a pre-9-11 mindset. Remember that? So I always yes, say you, yeah. you have a pre-316 mindset. You know, you have to yeah. have a post-316 mindset. And this is what these members of Congress need to realize. You do not live in the same world you right. lived in. And um, this is not just, you know, the government doing stupid things, bureaucratic things, wasteful things, profligate things. It's this is life and death. And, and we got to change the game. So how could people find more about find out more about your work and follow you? Uh, my Substack is Bailiwick News, B-A-I-L-I-W-I-C-K um, News, N-E-W-S, at um, Substack.com. Perfect. And that's that's pretty much about it. I don't Perfect. have any Bailiwick other websites. News Although there is stuff. There's plenty there. There are some to videos consume. on. 
yeah, I was just going to say there's some videos on BitChute and Rumble and a few on YouTube. Look, it's tough medicine, but it's the medicine we need. Thanks so much for your work and really looking forward to having you back again. Cool. Thank you so much. Take care. So Catherine Watt there, and look, I would have said this is crazy a few years ago, but it is what what she is calling for is obviously as true as it is unrealistic, meaning, you know, you have to identify a problem before you solve it. And what she's saying is not wrong. I mean, it goes back to the pillars of what our postmodern, post-World War II government has been built upon. Social Security Act, Medicare, Medicaid, Federal Reserve. She's not wrong about that. Now, obviously, yeah, it's not realistic to fully repeal those things. Um, and that's where I kind of come in and see, okay, well, let's not lie to ourselves. You know, we shouldn't have any of this. Okay, we shouldn't have any of this. And it's caused all this. Medicare and Medicaid were not done to be, you know, um, merciful to the people. I mean, I think we should know by now when government, that's how they couch everything, right? I mean, everything they did with COVID, it was the biggest genocide ever. But it was, I mean, we're saving lives. We're saving grandma. That's what they do. So it was not done for the betterment of our society. Now, the question is, how could we get innovative and try to achieve roughly some of the same goals or move in the right direction by doing things that are more politically achievable. And that's kind of what I'm looking at, which are obviously smaller versions. Again, I think when it comes to like the EUA stuff and the PREP Act, there's certainly not as much of an institution behind that as, as Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. And then like we said with the Federal Reserve, if you can't repeal the Federal Reserve its existence – at least repeal the 1978 Humphrey Hawkins, which would prevent them from, you know, printing money and doing things like that. So that's that's the issue. But but when you look at this, it is true what she's saying. The problems we face are so much greater than we can imagine. Even if to overnight you created a non-grifting new party that everyone agreed on what was the right thing to do. Everyone agreed on the values. It's not the Republican party. It would be a daunting task to come after decades upon decades of no political movement, at least not one that had representation succeeded politically to somehow reverse all of these effects. And that's why it just makes all of this stuff so petty and small. All this presidential politics. Um, and, and, and I'm sorry, I have to say this. You know, Trump said when he was defending the shots, and I'm not talking about two years ago. I'm talking about right now, whatever, last month. I've had no side effects. And now... I, we, we could speculate, did he get the shots, did he not? This is the age-old question with all the elites and the government officials. How many of them actually got it? How many did? I don't know. Let's just say he did, for argument's sake. You know how disgusting that is? When CDC admits 7.7% had a clinical-level injury? Oh, I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't have a problem. Like, really? That's populist? That's for the people? And, like... 
I don't I don't care. I don't care enough about the presidential election because like I told you there is n- absent a a massive united party and movement from county state all the way up. You know, we we're going to struggle to even get one or two states right, much less fix the country. There's no one man alive that him becoming president will be self-executing that will somehow come anywhere close to solving any major problem. And I believe that. So to me, like, you want to burn DeSantis down to the ground? Like three minutes ago, everyone would have agreed he was the best governor we ever had. Now he's the biggest dirtbag in, in, in the history of the world. And then somehow, you know, so every good thing DeSantis did is, is, is false. And every bad thing Trump did never existed. He was never president. He literally owned this. I mean, talk about the Federal Reserve. Jerome Powell was his man. And the printing was his scheme. But what bothers me is, it's okay. So I want to say, I, I support Trump. I, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, there's this talk at first, you know, I think the Sanders should wait and, you know, let, yeah, have Trump run. All right, fine. I don't care. But it's this, it, it, it's a cult where nothing Trump does matters. And they project on DeSantis stuff that if that bothers you, okay, fine. I respect that. You think everyone's a fraud. Fine. But then it should bother you and Trump by a factor of a million. It's like I'm seeing things now that somehow they'll dig up things that DeSantis promoted the vaccine in January 2021. Well, yeah, there was not a single elected official that didn't. And there was no that was not a politically tenable position. And you wouldn't know. If I would have been a governor in January 2021. You know, just like DeSantis, I would have mandated it, but it was like, hey, we're going to make it available. We'll make it available for seniors first. Make it very efficient. But then I would have watched. I mean, this is what Catherine, I mean, you're not going to get someone more hardcore than Catherine Watt. But even she was like, yeah, I don't blame people for not seeing it then. But he literally, for a year and a half, they've been bashing the shots when not a single other governor will stop promoting it in their health department, even on on children. And Trump to this day is like, how is that the same? Yeah, it's all the same. It's all the same. Nothing matters. Oh, I have a picture with DeSantis wearing a mask in 2020 at the beginning. Yeah. You know, like, so so, so somehow that's the equivalent of, so you fight it tooth and nail beyond what anyone else has done for three years, two and a half years. It's all the same. And then there's this bizarreness where Trump could dish it, but he can't take it. So... Everything's a moral equivalence. So basically, while DeSantis is fighting for us on every issue that Trump effed up and he's rectifying, he literally just dehumanizes him. And I don't know why we're okay with that. Like, I get the rough and tumble of politics, but like, he never gets held accountable for bearing false witness for all that stuff. It's like funny. I mean, what? This is what we need now. So DeSantis literally didn't say a thing for months and was like, haha, you're weak, you're weak. You look weak if you don't respond. So finally he responds, not by saying, you know, doing the same thing back, but he's like, yeah, you know, I basically said in the interview last night, I have a different governing style. 
I have people around me that are loyal to the cause of the people. Basically, I don't hire liberals and globalists like he does. He talks that I would have fired Fauci. That's all he did. I mean, there was nothing nasty about it. That's the, the most mild way you would show contrast in any primary. How dare at a time that they're going after Trump. How dare he say that? Wait, so you could dish it to that a degree, but you can't take a mild policy contrast? Like, pick, a, pick which one. That's what I can't relate to. All these people, and you, you've watched them, it's 100% DeSantis is a dirtbag, and 100% there's nothing wrong with Trump. Like, at least demand something from him. Say, look, buddy, you got to demonstrate to us why you're not going to have this problem. But it's bizarre. They'll bring up these, like, oblique things about DeSantis. And I'm like, okay, so if that bothers you and negates everything we've seen from him, then shouldn't that bother you by a factor of a million with Trump? Shouldn't that bother you? It's like the bar for DeSantis is set to the moon, but for Trump, it's nothing. Nothing is his responsibility. It is just so weird. But my point is, I don't care about the presidential election. What I care about is, it gets in our way of anything we want to do. You know, you know, I was attacked throughout the week, focusing on whether it's the shots, whether it's the Federal Reserve. You're focusing on that when Trump is being locked up. Like, I have talked about the need for interposition long before. And it's like, if they could do this to Trump, they could do it to anyone. Hey, schmuck. They have been doing it before they did it to Trump. And you didn't care. All you care about is him. And it's become very clear that they're milking this. They want it. And the left wants it too because they want him to get the nomination. That's why they're pushing it. You know what I'm saying? This is not something new. They both have records now. And I don't understand how someone can look at their two records policy, personnel, articulation, electoral prowess, and it's 180 degrees the opposite. No, DeSantis is 100% poison, and Trump is 100%. That's what I cannot relate to. See, I don't care, and I've had people on the show that are supporting Trump, and I, I, and I would love to continue doing that. I don't, I don't care. But I would love to know, all right, you're supporting him, you're supporting that, but that's not our main thing that we're focused on issues and on the other side of it, and not just on the other side of it, but even while we might disagree on this, we could work together to achieve those issues. But that's the problem. They don't have issues. Because if they did, they'd be pressuring him like our side would pressure DeSantis. Hey, do more, do more. No, it's all good. That's what I can't work with. And now everything, at any moment, our work has to stop, stop, service the man, service the man. Get out of here. We have a life to save. That's what I wanted to show you with the seriousness of this matter. And not to mention that he literally is a biomedical fascist on the, on the biggest issue of our time, but whatever. But even without that, 
We have more serious things to focus on. Like, you talk about the printing of money and everything the Federal Reserve facilitated. It's like, the Trump supporters are like, everyone is, so now I'm a globalist, rhino, neocon, all that stuff. So I'm like, I'm the Jewish banker, big banker, and I'm thinking like, okay, so here are the numbers. In two terms of George W. Bush, the Federal Reserve printed $1.17 trillion. In two terms of Obama, it printed $2.42. In one term of Trump, they printed $3 trillion. One term. One term. And his own and he appointed the man who did that. And his only criticism of Jerome was he didn't do it enough and quickly enough. I, I don't understand every issue we're languishing from. This is not me like trying to Google around. Let's find some obscure thing about Trump. Like, I don't need to do that. We lived this. We talked about it at the time. And there's never been a reckoning. I don't even have a problem if he runs again. But there needs to be some sort of reckoning like, hey, buddy, how are we going to change the game? But these people don't have a problem. See, you could only try to rectify it if you have a problem. They don't have a problem. They don't have a problem with anything he did. They think it was amazing. We succeeded in everything we did. Therein lies the problem. The big question is going to be, where do the voters, are the voters going to reflect the political class and the Twitter class or not? And I don't have an answer for you. Do we want outcomes or do we want the show? Do we want the show? And that's what we'll find out. But I'm not about the show because if I want to do that, I'll just watch a soap opera. I'll do something else for a living. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to focus on the issues that actually matter and the way they matter and what we could do about it. No one guy, no one guy should ever force you to change what you believe is right or, right or wrong. You want to back a guy, back him. You want to vote for him, vote for him. But don't turn you know, everything upside down just to service one person. That, that's a different... I, I could totally respect work with people. You want to vote for him, I vote for him. I, I don't care. It's been that way for a while. You'll have Senate primaries often. You'll have people that agree on everything, but you know they'll 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 vote in different directions in a primary. I think this guy's better. I think that guy's better. But as long as we're trying to achieve the same ends, it shouldn't matter much. Because if your guy winds up winning, I should have the confidence that on the other side of it, you're going to be pushing him to the right as much as you can. And if my guy wins, I'm going to be doing the same. But I think we all know that ain't the case. Let me know your comments, questions, concerns. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.